Welcome to The Word Unveiled. Our program tonight is the last of the four programs in the Four Holy Women of God series. And our subject matter tonight is Teresa of Calcutta, also known as Mother Teresa. So let's begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. The fruit of silence is prayer. The fruit of prayer is faith. The fruit of faith is love. The fruit of love is service. The fruit of service is peace. In the name of the Father, and Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Episode four, Saint Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Here's a view of the street in Calcutta, India. It looks pretty much like that even today. So a little historical background. She was born Agnus Gancha Bayajiu, and she was born on the 26th of August, 1910 in Skopje, which was a city at that time in the Ottoman Empire. Albania did not exist as an independent nation, but it was a buffer between Austria-Hungary to the north, the Slavs and Balkan states to the northeast, and the crumbling Ottoman Empire to the southeast. And the Ottoman Empire had promised independence for Albania and equal citizenship for all, Muslim or Christian alike. In 1910, however, the Ottoman Empire reneged on this deal and it sent in troops to crush any Albanian ideas of independence. And in 1912, Albania attempted to declare its independence, but was on constant threat of invasion from all the nations surrounding it. So it was a real mess. Everybody wanted to control the entire area. So Anya Skanchabayajiu was born 26th August 1910, and and where she was born was part of the Kosovo district of the Ottoman Empire. Gancha, which is the name she went by her middle name, means rosebud or little flower. Hmm, like Therese, huh? Little flower in Albanian. She was baptized in Skopje the day after her birth at the Sacred Heart of Jesus Catholic Church, which was located on the site of what is now the Mother Teresa Memorial and Visitor Center. She later considered that the 27th of August, the day she was baptized, to be her true birthday. Now, Gancha was the youngest child of Nicola and Dranafile Bayajiu. Her older brother was named Lazar, and her older sister was Aga. This is the earliest known photograph that I could find of uh, Agnes Gancha Bayajiu. She's age 12 in this photograph. Now, a little historical context. All the uh, political upheaval and violence that surrounded this area. An international commission had attempted to head off what would look like uh, impending war uh, in the Balkan states, but met with little success. Serbia wanted an ocean seaport, and it began a program of genocide against the Albanians. Bulgaria wanted to drive the Albanians out of their territory, and the Austrians wanted to back the Catholic Albanians, who were less than 10% of the population. The Ottoman Empire wanted to back the Muslims, but really wanted to be done with the whole affair of infighting and vendettas. And then the peace after the Great War created an Albanian nation, but it excluded Kosovo and Skopje, where the Bayashus lived. So Nikola, Gancha's father, became politically active, and he's attempting to gain independence for their homeland in Kosovo and and Skopje. Here's a political poster uh, on the right of the photo here, and it says it's, it it uh, shows the Ottoman Empire represented as a serpent-like creature with a, wearing a turban who's on the ground 
and everybody's hitting it and beating it. And you have people who are um, representing Serbia, Greece, um, uh, Bulgaria, and Austria-Hungary in the in this photograph. So it was a it was not a two-way battle. It was a five or six-way battle. So Nicola, her father, was a prosperous merchant and entrepreneur, and he traveled a great deal throughout the Albanian communities. So it was important for him to have those all free and independent so he could access them. Uh, in 1919, he went to a political dinner in Belgrade on the subject of creating a greater Albania, trying to unite all the pockets of uh, land that were occupied by Albanians. Well, this action made him many political enemies because there are just as many people opposed to that idea as were for it. And when he returned from the meeting, it was very obvious that he had been poisoned. And in fact, he died the day after he returned. His funeral was a big event in Skopje, but it marked the end of the happy and prosperous childhood of Gancha, her mother, sister, and brother. Drana, her mother, could not keep control of her husband's businesses, and soon the once prosperous family was reduced to the ownership of their house alone. So Gancha's mother was very devout, and she led her family to Mass every single day. Gancha developed a great devotion to the Blessed Mother and made many pilgrimages to uh, the Black Madonna that was in the village of Vit. Vitina uh, Letnis in the mountainous region of Montenegro. The family usually made this pilgrimage in a horse-drawn cart, and they often stayed there several days because of Gancha's health. She suffered from malaria, whooping cough, and a club foot. So little Gancha is not, uh, does not have a strong constitution. She soon began to think seriously about a life of service to God, however, perhaps in a foreign mission. And on the 15th of August, 1928, Gancha once again prayed at the Shrine of the Black Madonna in Vitnia Letnis, and she resolved to enter religious life. She became interested in the world of Bengal, that is India, and she began to communicate with the sisters of Loretto who had missions in Bengal. At the age of 18, she went to Ireland and entered the Institute of the Blessed Virgin Mary, known as the Sisters of Loretto. And Gancha never returned to Skopje and never saw her mother or sister or brother again. And this is probably the last photo of them uh, all together. She entered the Loretto Abbey in Rathfarnham in Ireland uh, with the intent to become a missionary to India. And there she learned English. So she speaks Albanian, now she speaks English, and she will learn many other languages. Uh, but this was the language that the Sisters of Loretta used in India. So the Sisters of Loretto had been founded by Mary Ward, an English woman, during the years of persecution of the Catholics in England. This was in the 1700s, I believe. Her new order founded schools for girls in a manner similar to what the Jesuits had done for young men. On the 1st of November, 1928, Gancha departed aboard a sailing ship for India with a single companion, Sister Mary Magdalene from Yugoslavia, to join the teaching missions in Bengal, India. And here we have a picture of Gancha in her first habit. She arrived in India in 1929, and she began her novitiate in Darjeeling in the lower Himalayas, where she learned Bengali, another language, and she taught at St. Teresa's School near her convent. 
She took her first religious vows on 24th of May, 1931, and she chose to be named after St. Therese of Lisieux, the patron saint of missionaries. But because a nun in the convent had already chosen that name, she opted for the Spanish spelling, Teresa, after the manner of Teresa of Avila. So occasionally she worked in a medical clinic and she gained uh, some experience um, with utter poverty and helplessness of many. And the plight of children especially affected her. This is a photograph of the school she, she taught in in 2018. After two years in India, Sister Teresa was sent to teach at Loreto, uh, Loreto Antali, in the eastern industrial section of the city of Calcutta. This was one of six schools operated by the Sisters of Loreto behind walled enclosures. And many of the children were from upper classes. They were Catholic, they were Hindu, they were Parsi and others, and they boarded at the school. Within this enclosure, however, was another school, St. Mary's School, which accepted students without tuition from all groups. Sister Teresa taught geography, history, religion at St. Mary's for almost 18 or 19 years before she was named headmistress. With the coming of of the Second World War, which included famine, loss of grain harvest from Burma, and shortages of every kind, Sister Teresa was forced to go outside the enclosure into the street to secure food and supplies for her students and fellow sisters. Now, what's going on in the world at this time? The British had ruled over India since 1759, and its period of dominance was rapidly coming to an end. In the 1930s, there were many independence groups that were formed, political parties. And the coming of the Second World War, which affected India in 1942, plunged them into this effort, and thoughts of independence were put on hold. By 1943, Calcutta was suffering. A cyclone, floods, and the loss of food supplies from Japanese-occupied Burma accentuated the misery. And following the war, India was partitioned into India, which was predominantly Hindu, and East and West Pakistan, which was predominantly Muslim. Civil war and slaughter of thousands resulted. If you were in the wrong place, you fought to go to the right place. So Sister Teresa went out of her enclosure to find rice for her students to eat, and she never forgot the scenes of the dead and dying she saw in the streets. She had been somewhat isolated from this when she was teaching within the convent school. And she called this period the calling. She writes about it. She says, I was traveling to Darjeeling by train when I heard the voice of God. I was sure it was God's voice. I was sure he was calling me. The message was clear. I must leave the convent to help the poor by living among them. And this is the kind of scene that uh, Sister Teresa saw as she she traveled to Darjeeling. So the first step she took, she knew what she had to do, but she knew she just couldn't leave Loretto and a role at the school without permission. So she shared her vision with her confessor and with Father Van Exum, who was a Belgian Jesuit who had worked in India since 1938 and and supported the school. She called her vision a call within the call. And Father Van Exum described St. Teresa as not an exceptional person. She was an ordinary Loretto nun, very ordinary person, but with a great love for her Lord. He felt instinctively that her ordinariness indicated the genuineness of her call. And subsequently, all that has happened is difficult to explain 
in a natural way. In other words, he felt this was truly God calling her to this life. He advised her that she could, one, write to Rome and ask for a release from her Loretto vows, or two, discuss it with Archbishop Perrier in the L and the Archdiocese of Calcutta and seek his assistance in the matter. And Sister Teresa chose the latter course. For two years, Sister Teresa patiently petitioned her superiors in Rome, Loretto and Calcutta, for permission to leave the convent to follow her call. It was a long and frustrating process. To her superiors, it seemed dangerous and futile to send a single woman out into the slums of Calcutta. However, in the end, Sister Teresa was granted permission to leave the convent for one year to help the poorest of the poor. In preparation for leaving the convent, she purchased three cheap white cotton saris, each one lined with three blue stripes along the edge. And this later became the uniform for the nuns of the missions, missionaries of charity. So after 20 years in, with the Loretto Order, Sister Teresa left the convent on August 16th, 1948, and she was 38 years old. Rather than going directly to the slums, Sister Teresa spent the first several weeks in Patna with the medical missionary, medical mission sisters to obtain some basic medical knowledge. And she started with what she knew. And after walking around the slums for a while, she found some small children and she began to teach them. She had no classroom, no desks, no chalkboard, no paper. So she picked up a stick and she began drawing letters in the dirt. Class had begun. She wrote in her diary that her first year was fraught with difficulty. With no income, she begged for food and supplies, and she experienced doubt, loneliness, and temptation to return to the comfort of the convent life during these early months. She wrote, Our Lord wants me to be a free nun covered with the poverty of the cross. Today I learned a good lesson. The poverty of the poor must be so hard for them. While looking for a home, I walked and walked till my arms and legs ached. I thought how much they must ache in body and soul, looking for a home, food, and health. Then the comfort of Loretto, her former congregation, came to tempt me. You have only to say the word, and all that will be yours again, the tempter kept on saying. Of, of free choice, my God, and out of love for you, I desire to remain and do whatever be your holy will in my regard. I did not let a single tear come. Soon after that, Sister Teresa found a small hut that she rented and turned into a classroom. And there she visited, she also visited children's families and others in the areas, offering a smile and limited medical help from the things she had learned from the other sisters. And as people began to hear about her work, they gave her donations. And so she was able to buy teaching supplies and other items. In March 1949, Sister Teresa was joined by her first helper. It was a former student, a former pupil from Loretto. Soon she had 10 other former pupils who came to help her. And at the end of St. Teresa's provisionary year, she petitioned to form her own order of nuns, the Missionaries of Charity, and her request was granted by Pope Pius XII. The Missionaries of Charity was established on the 7th of October, 1950. Sister Teresa had become Mother Teresa. Now, Mother Teresa opened a home for the dying, which she called Nirmal Ride, the place of the Immaculate Heart. 
and that was in 1952. And each day, her nuns would walk the streets and bring people who were dying to Nirmal Rade. And there were many people just left in the streets to die. The nuns would bathe them and feed these people and place them on a cot. And they were given the opportunity to die with dignity, with the rituals of their faith. She did not keep others out. Muslims were read the Quran, Hindus received water from the Ganges, and Catholics received the sacrament of extreme unction. The dying, the cripple, the mentally ill, the unwanted, the unloved, they are Jesus in disguise, Mother Teresa would say. So later on, the Missionaries of Charity took in an increasingly increasing number of homeless children And in 1955, she opened another building called Nirmala Shishu Bhavan, or the Children's Home of the Immaculate Heart, as a haven for orphans and homeless youth. And the Missionaries of Charity next opened a hospice for those with leprosy, calling it Shanti Nagar, the City of Peace. And they also established a leprosy outreach clinic because there were cures for leprosy. By this time, it was known how to treat it, but it was still rampant in India. And so she set up these clinics, and they served people throughout Calcutta, providing medication, dressings, and food. Now, the government of Calcutta became her partner in this. They were very interested in the work of Mother Teresa, and they cooperated on a number of site and building acquisitions. And her father's gift for politics was beginning to reappear in his daughter as she learned how to negotiate with governments and leaders of the community. Now, she had a very strong devotion to the poor and sick, but her devotion was, of course, always to Jesus first. So her, her sisters and her worked on a very grueling schedule, seven days a week, but she also employed others so that her sisters might attend to prayer, meditation, and daily mass. She had a crucifix in every chapel with the words, I thirst, I thirst for souls, added to every chapel uh, that the missionary sisters established, not just here, but throughout the world. This is their typical schedule. Wake up at 4.30, rise and get cleaned up. Five o'clock, begin prayers prayers and mass until 6.30. 6.30 to 8 is breakfast and clean up. Then 8 to 12.30, four and a half hours, work for the poor. 12.30 to 2.30, lunch and rest. So they take a midday nap. Uh, 2.30 to 3, 3 o'clock, spiritual reading and meditation. 3 to 3.15 is a tea break. 3.15 to 4.30, adoration. And then 4.30 to 7.30, another three hours in the evening, work for the poor. So they're working for the poor seven and a half hours. Most people consider that a full day, but they have all these other activities as well. So their day went, what, uh, 15 hours a day was their typical day. Now, word got out about what was happening in India. And a gentleman from Great Britain by the name of Malcolm Muggeridge, who was a newsman, a commentator, and an atheist uh, was very skeptical about what was going on. So he went to India to make a documentary uh, about Mother Teresa. This was in 1969. Well, he had his doors blown off. Uh, He was totally captivated by what he saw and heard, and he eventually became a convert to Catholicism. He wrote a book, and, uh, and it was called Something Beautiful for God. And he also said that he claimed to witness a miracle while filming in very low light. Uh, They were going to film Mother Teresa in one of her clinics, but the cameraman said, the light is too dark in here. 
Nothing will come out. But they, their schedule was such that they couldn't wait for lights, so they tried it anyway. They filmed. And when they looked at the film, the film was beautiful. It looked like it had been totally illuminated. A light had come from somewhere to, to show this so that the world could see this, uh, this scene of mother and her sisters uh, helping the poor. So his publicity from his book and his documentaries started to go around the world. And all of a sudden, Mother Teresa was inundated with requests for interviews, books, uh, there are people writing articles about her, and it, and that never ceased throughout her lifetime. Now, she has a few quotes here that she's talking about this entire uh, time of her life. She says, because we cannot see Christ, we cannot express our love to him. But our neighbors, we can always see. And we can do to them what if we saw him, we would like to do for Christ. We think sometimes that poverty is only being hungry, naked, and homeless. The poverty of being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for is the greatest poverty. We must start in our own homes to remedy this kind of poverty. And then on loneliness, she wrote, there is a terrible hunger for love. We all experience that in our lives, the pain, the loneliness. We must have the courage to recognize it. The poor you may have right in your own family. Find them, love them. In the West, there is loneliness, which I call the leprosy of the West. In many ways, it is worse than our poor in Calcutta. So that one cuts home. On children, she writes, how can there be too many children? That is like saying there are too many flowers. I feel the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion because it is a war against the child, a direct killing of the innocent child. Any country that accepts abortion is the poorest of the poor. For the love of Jesus, a reporter watched Mother Teresa as she cleaned the maggot-infested wound of a man on the street. And he said to her, I wouldn't do what you do for a million dollars. And Mother Teresa looked up at him with a wry smile and said, I wouldn't either, but only for the love of God. In 1979, she was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. And she says, and then another one asked me, are you married? And I said, yes. And I find it sometimes very difficult to smile at Jesus because he can be very demanding sometimes. This is really something true. And there, there, is, where love, and there is where love comes, yet it is demanding, and yet we can give it to him with joy. So, yes, of course, she's a bride of Christ. And then controversy started to come up. And this was kind of hard to understand because it was so unfair. Um, some people started to complain that the houses for the sick and dying were not sanitary, that they were treating the, the sick, uh, they were not, the people that were doing this were not properly trained in medicine. And some claimed that Mother Teresa was more interested in helping the dying go to God than in potentially curing them. And others claimed she only wanted to make them Christians. None of this, of course, was true. And as far as was her um, or her clinics sufficiently modern, well, somebody else could step in and provide the funding if they wanted to, but that didn't happen. But the greatest objections came in the wake of her remarks about the horrors of abortion, of course. Christopher Hitchens, a British journalist and big-time atheist, produced a TV documentary entitled Hell's Angel, and it criticized the work of the missionaries of charity. Mother Teresa did not back down. After all, she knew Jesus and worked for him. 
On international activity, Mother Teresa said, by blood, I am an Albanian, by citizenship, an Indian, by faith, I am a Catholic nun. As to my calling, I belong to the world. As to my heart, I belong entirely to the heart of Jesus. She was now fluent in five languages, Bengali, Albanian, Serbian, English, and Hindi, and she made occasional trips outside India for humanitarian reasons. One such incident was in 1982 at the height of the siege of Beirut. Mother Teresa went to Beirut and rescued 37 children who were trapped in a frontline hospital, which was in danger of being uh, hit by artillery and rockets. And she brokered a deal and a temporary ceasefire between the Israeli army and the Palestinian guerrillas. And then accompanied by Red Cross workers, she traveled through the war zone to the hospital to evacuate the young patients. When Eastern Europe experienced increased openness in the late 1980s, Teresa expanded her efforts to communist countries, which had rejected the missionaries of charity. She began dozens of projects undeterred by criticism of her stands against abortion and divorce. No matter who says what, you should accept it with a smile and do your own work. Mother Teresa traveled to assist the hungry in Ethiopia, radiation victims in Chernobyl, and earthquake victims in Armenia. The first Missionaries of Charity home in the United States was established in the South Bronx area of New York City. And by 1984, the congregation operated 19 establishments throughout the country, including one here in Detroit. In 1991, she returned to Albania for the first time since she had left. And and there she opened a Missionaries of Charities Brothers Home in Tirana, the town where her mother and her sister moved after Mother Teresa's departure for Loretto. But by this time, both her mother and her sister were deceased. In 1996, the year before she died, Mother Teresa operated 517 missions in over 100 countries. Her Missionaries of Charity grew from 12 to 4,000 sisters in Calcutta alone and serving the poorest of the poor in 450 centers worldwide. By 2007, 10 years after her death, the Missionaries of Charity numbered about 450 brothers and 5,000 sisters worldwide, operating 600 missions, schools, and shelters in 120 countries. In other words, everywhere. Mother Teresa died on September 5th, 1997, in the Mother House at Kolkata. And this is a photograph of her simple room, which has been preserved as a memorial and is viewable by by visitors to Calcutta. St. Mother Teresa, her original name was Agnes Gancha Bayajiu. She was born August 26, 1910 in Skopje and the Ottoman Empire. She died September 5th, 1997 in Calcutta, West Bengal, India. She was beatified in 2003 by Pope John Paul II and canonized in 2016 by Pope Francis. Her feast day is September 5th. She's the founders of the Missionary Sisters of Charity. She is a recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize, the Presidential Medal of Freedom from the United States, and the Bharat Ratna Award from India. She's a patroness of World Youth Day, Missionaries of Charity, and the Archdiocese of Calcutta. When we compare her with the other Teresas, we see that her father died when she was young. Her mother was a devout Catholic and influential in her faith, 
and she feels a calling to the missionary life. She becomes a sister of Loretto, and she hears a calling to help and live among the poor of Calcutta. She founds the Missionary Sisters of Charity. Her work is recognized by the world. She is awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Her work continues beyond her, and she is declared a saint in 2016. St. Teresa of Avila, St. Therese of Lisieux, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, St. Teresa of Calcutta, pray for us. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening. Peace be with you.